Hello and welcome to this special episode of the John Henry Weston Show, where I propose to give you 15 minutes of meditation on the 15 mysteries of the Holy Rosary, because that's what Our Lady demanded of us as she put forward to us in 1925 first, the practice of the first Saturdays. I would encourage you to do that devotion, but it includes 15 minutes of just meditation on the mysteries of the Rosary, apart from saying the Rosary itself. I couldn't find that online, so I wanted to offer you my 15-minute meditation. So please stay tuned for that, and do me a favor, share it with your friends and family, and I pray that it might be a help to some of you, especially to practice that devotion on the first Saturday of every month. Let's begin, as we always do, with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember that the Blessed Virgin Mary was conceived without original sin in the womb of her mother, St. Anne. From the first moment of her life, she was devoted to God. Her intellect was not darkened from the effects of original sin, so she loved and adored the Creator from her first moments. She grew up praying for the coming of the promised Messiah. Her love for God was greater than all the world together. Her humility was like a shining beacon to the Almighty. When the angel Gabriel came to visit her, he knelt, addressing her with the angelic salutation, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. She was startled by the angel's greeting, but when reassured that it was a divine request since her promise of virginity would be intact, she responds with her fiat, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done to me according to thy word. And the Holy Ghost descended upon her, and she conceived in her womb Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity. It was the Incarnation. God became man. She was the living tabernacle of the Most High, the Ark of the New Covenant. But rather than pay attention to herself, Our Lady, still a young girl of no more than sixteen, set out to visit her elderly cousin Elizabeth, who was thought to be barren. St. Gabriel, during the Annunciation, informed Mary that Elizabeth was pregnant and in her third month. So Mary, bearing the Christ child in her womb, traveled to the hill country of Judea to visit Elizabeth. When she heard Mary's greeting, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and despite being Mary's superior by age, she recognized in her young cousin, the Theotokos, the God-bearer, and said, Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth testified to Mary that at the child in her womb leapt as the sound of Mary's greeting reached her. The as-yet-unborn St. John the Baptist recognized the presence of the unborn Christ present in the living tabernacle of his aunt, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Mary responded with her Magnificat, saying, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has regarded the humility of his handmaid. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things to me. Mary remained there to help her cousin until the birth of the Baptist, after which she went home. And there Joseph was confronted with the knowledge of Mary's pregnancy, and suffered, thinking at first to call off their marriage. But after being reassured by the angel of the Lord, he took her as his wife, knowing that the child to be born of her was of the Holy Spirit, and that she was to remain a virgin forever. He became the foster father of our Lord and the head of the Holy Family. They were then required by the emperor's decree to go to the city of Bethlehem for the census, 
and made the journey despite Our Lady's advanced pregnancy. When they arrived, they could find no place in an inn for the birth of the Messiah. They were grateful even to be allowed to make use of a stable where the King of Kings would be born. Joseph cleaned that stable to prepare for his coming. Meanwhile, shepherds in the fields nearby were told by angels of the birth of the Savior and went to find him, given the sign that he was to be found lying in a manger, a feeding trough, where would be found the bread of heaven. They adored him, faces to the ground, in an act of adoration, recognizing in a tiny baby God Almighty, the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel. And when he was only eight days old, Mary and Joseph took the baby Jesus to present him in the temple, where he would be circumcised. And there Simeon, who was really, really ancient, would recognize the child as the promised Messiah and utter that promise of the Lord that he would not die before he would see the Messiah had come to pass, and that the Lord might now dismiss his servant in peace, since his eyes had beheld the Lord's salvation. Simeon would also prophesy that the child would be for the rise and fall of many in Israel, and that a sword would pierce the heart of Mary his mother, that the thoughts of many hearts might be revealed. Anna the prophetess also recognized him in the temple and spread the news of his being the Messiah. From there the Holy Family returned to Nazareth, and what glory and joy must have filled those days for Joseph and Mary as they held in their arms the baby king of the universe, and even Gentiles, the wise men from the east, with visit with gifts. But their joy was to be mingled with pain. The angel warned St. Joseph to flee with the mother and child to Egypt because of King Herod's attempt to kill him. And the Holy Family lived in exile in Egypt, knowing of the massacre of the Holy Innocents but they would travel every year to the temple in Jerusalem. And when his parents took him, when he was 12 years old, to the temple, but having reached the age where he would be able to travel with the men rather than with the women as did young children, Jesus was left behind accidentally. The sorrow of Joseph and Mary in searching for him for days was alleviated at their finding him in the temple asking the learned men of the temple questions which astounded those wise men and taught them. After this, Jesus went home with them to Nazareth and was a good, holy, and obedient child. Oh, the joy of that household, a joy though tinged with suffering, because St. Joseph would die. Of course, a happy and holy death between Jesus and Mary, but definitely for Jesus and Mary, tinged with suffering. At thirty years old, Jesus would begin his public ministry, going for baptism to his cousin John the Baptist, and from there to fasting in the desert, choosing his apostles and preaching and teaching and performing miracles, slowly revealing himself to Israel as the Messiah. After three years, he would have the Last Supper with his apostles, establishing the Blessed Sacrament, and directly after that, enter the Garden of Gethsemane, where he commenced his agony. He begged his apostles to pray with him, but they fell asleep. Let us at least now keep him company as he sweats blood in the garden, alone, before one of his own beloved apostles comes to betray him with a kiss. Judas comes with the temple guards, and Jesus asks them whom they are seeking, and when they reply Jesus of Nazareth, he responds, I am he, and they all fall down. Jesus performs this miracle even in the midst of his capture, demonstrating his power so that we might know that he surrendered himself of his own free will. When the apostle Peter draws his sword and strikes at the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear, 
Jesus heals Malchus's ear and is taken away by the guards as all his apostles run away, one of them in such a fright that he runs away, leaving his clothing behind as a guard has grabbed his outer garment. Jesus is brought bound before the governor Pilate, and he questions him, but finds no fault in him whatsoever. But the Jews demand his death, and Pilate thinks to have him scourged so as to set him free without having to kill him. And he is scourged brutally. By his stripes we are healed, as Isaiah prophesied. After this savage scourging, he is mocked and crowned with thorns by the soldiers who spit in his face and beat him on his thorn-crowned head with a reed driving those thorns into his skull. The man of sorrows is brought back to Pilate, and Pilate resolves to release him, but the Jews threaten to denounce Pilate to Caesar. And Pilate then washes his hands of the matter before them all and hands Jesus over to be crucified. Jesus takes up his cross himself, despite his mortal injuries, but is nonetheless beaten as he makes his way to the top of Calvary, shouldering the heavy burden of our sins. His meeting with his Holy Mother on the way of the cross reminds us that she will be there for us too as we carry our crosses. So that he would not die on the way, soldiers ask Simon of Cyrene to carry the cross after him, May we, like Simon, grow to love to take up our crosses and follow him. In the midst of his unspeakable suffering, he comforts the women who are bewailing him, telling them not to cry for him, but to cry for themselves and for their children. Arriving at the top of Calgary, called Golgotha, Jesus is nailed to the cross. Heavy nails are driven into his hands and feet. And the cross is mounted where he is to hang for three hours as he suffocates for love of us and to open the gates of heaven closed to us sinners. He shows us the example of forgiveness as he begs the Father for the salvation of his very tormentors. He offers one of the thieves who were crucified beside him salvation, as Dismas begs him, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He says, This day you will be with me in paradise. And before giving up his spirit to the Father, Jesus gives us one last great gift, giving us his mother for ours. Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. With St. John, let us from this hour take Mary into our homes. Then Jesus dies. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. There is an immense earthquake. The veil of the temple is torn in two. Bodies rise from the graves and pandemonium strikes. Later, Jesus' body is taken down from the cross and laid in a tomb. It is sealed tight, and the Jews demand a retinue of soldiers to guard it, assuming that his followers may steal away his body. As Easter Sunday dawns, the Christ rises from the dead. The angels roll back the stone, protecting the tomb, and the soldiers lie there like dead men. He appears to his mother, to Mary Magdalene, the apostles do not believe it, even when they see the empty tomb. But Jesus finally appears to them, chiding them for their unbelief. And since Thomas was not there on that first appearance in the upper room and remained incredulous, Jesus appears again, telling Thomas to put his fingers into his wounds. And Thomas falls to his knees, exclaiming, My Lord and my God, just as we do when we see our Lord elevated in the Holy Eucharist. 
Jesus gives them the power of forgiving sins and confession. He eats with them to prove his reality. He appears even to 500 people at one time. He consoles and strengthens and teaches them to get them ready to continue his church. Forty days after his resurrection, Jesus tells the apostles to meet him on the Mount of Olives, where he gives them the Great Commission, telling them to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And while he is still speaking, he ascends into heaven, and they look up until a cloud obscures him from sight. He now sits at the right hand of God, from where he will come to judge the living and the dead. Meanwhile, the apostles remain afraid. They gather with Our Lady in the upper room, where they had this last supper, to pray. And they pray fervently for nine days with Our Lady. It is the first novena, and then comes the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descends down on each of them, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Fear is cast out, and they begin to proclaim the wondrous works of God. They go out to the assembled people who had heard the great noise, and Peter proclaims the truth of Christ crucified and his resurrection, and his proclamation is supported by the miracle of his speaking so that all men from different lands could understand him in their own languages. And that day 3,000 are baptized. This launch of the church continues, but even here, this glorious time, it is the sting of hardship, even martyrdom, as the church faces persecution, with the first martyrdom of St. Stephen and more and more to come. Years later, the Mother of God is to go to her eternal rest, to her true home, to the everlasting loving embrace of her Son. She is assumed into heaven by angels, and while the home of St. John is without her physical presence, and I'm sure his heart broke, the truth is that she was then able to be, for all of us, the advocate with her son. Show thyself a mother. May the word divine born for us thy infant hear our prayers through thine. And finally we see in her assumption and coronation our own final destiny. Our bodies, too, at the last day will rise from the dead and join our souls in everlasting glory, should we stay true to the love of Jesus. The King of kings crowns his holy mother, the Queen of heaven and earth, of men and angels, of patriarchs and prophets, of apostles and martyrs. I am all thine, my dear mistress, with all that I have. I take thee for my all. Please give me thy heart, O Mary. For LifeSite News, this is John Henry Weston, and may God bless you. Hi, this is John Henry Weston, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News. I'm coming to you today because we want to be sure that we're communicating clearly with you, our loyal followers. Things are really heating up, as I'm sure you can see. Christians, conservative truth-tellers are being targeted, are being banned from social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at an alarmingly fast rate. They are attempting to suppress any narrative that does not fit that of the mainstream media. We knew this day would come. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to lifesitenews.com because there we will always be.
but we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe, and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.